What can you control? And let me begin by saying far less than you think that you can control, right? How many of you control can control the weather? You can pray about it. You can plead with God about it. But you know what? It's going to do what it's going to do, correct? Wasn't it nice to have a cool week this week where it only got to about 96? Wasn't that nice here in, in Ruston? Several years ago, gas prices just blew up. I mean, they went sky high. And, and I, I found myself getting really upset about that and tense. And, you know, goodness gracious, why don't somebody do anything? Then I realized there wasn't anything I, in the world I could do about the gas prices except cry every time I filled my car up. I could do that. That helped me emotionally. Uh, but there's so many things you can't control. You, you can't control your boyfriend or girlfriend. You can't control your husband or wife. Have y'all figured that out by now? I said that in the first service, and they were like, amen, we know that. We know that, and you, you, you can't. You, you, you can't. But this morning, we're going to look at three things that you can control. We're going to look at three things that you absolutely can control. They're hard. It's not easy. But if you will make a choice to get these things... Get your handle on these things and get these things and control them properly. You can get a fresh start. As you you start school this week, you can start school the way you need to on a positive note. Your marriage may need a fresh start today. Your attitude, your life, your philosophy, your work, whatever it is, may need a fresh start. And if you would get a hold of these three things you can control, you can get a fresh start. Here's the first one. It is your attitude. It's your attitude. You know, you may have heard this said, I I heard it said years ago, your attitude determines your altitude, your mindset, your thoughts, your philosophy is going to determine how how high you fly or how low you sink, whether you're a skunk or whether you're an eagle, is going to be determined much by your attitude. Dr. Viktor Frankl, you may never have heard that name before, but you ought to research him after church, not right now, please Google him that later. But Dr. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist who lived in Europe in the worst time he could have uh, in the 1920s and 30s. And he was uh, put into a concentration camp. He was a man over six foot tall, got down to 80 pounds, but he lived. He survived. And when he uh, got out, he wrote a great book. I believe it's called The Search for Meaning. And in that book, he, he makes a great statement. He says, in life, people can take away everything. They can limit you, I mean, your, what you eat, what you drink, just where you, almost everything. But they cannot take away your ability to choose your attitude. Isn't that good? See, most of us blame other people for our attitude. It's our spouse's fault. Uh, it's my parents' fault. It's my kids' fault. Uh, but you have control over your attitude. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, a great little verse. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, and then we're going to jump to Colossians 3 if you have a Bible. In Ephesians 4, it says to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Let me walk you through what this means. The word new is a great Greek word, a biblical Greek word. It means to be made young. It, made, it means to be made fresh. It, it, it's, it's the idea of a fresh start. And, and when he says here to be made new, he's talking about a continual process. Listen, when you become a Christian, you became a Christian. You don't have to become a Christian every day. You are a Christian once you become one. You've got to work on your attitude every single day. And most of us need to work 
work on our attitudes about 15 times a day. He's saying to be made new, you choose continually to make, be fresh and young in the attitudes of your mind. The attitude and the mind are the same thing. It's where you process things and how you think and, and how you understand things. Now, listen, this is neat. That word to be made new literally does mean to be made young. And some of you in here today, you may be 20 years old, but you have the mindset and the crotchety attitude of a 90-year-old. And some of you are 80 years old today, and you've got the attitude of a 20-year-old. It's not a sin. It's fact, it's great to grow old. Amen? I mean, the op- other option is, you know, you, yes. So growing old is a great thing, but you don't want to grow old in your mind and your heart. The Bible says be made young in the attitude of your mind. Now, let, let's, let's answer this question. Is this possible? For years and years and years, psychologists told us that you are basically who you are. When I went to college, which was five or six years ago, I can remember in my freshman psychology class, the uh, professor said, when you are about three or four years old, your personality is formed and you are who you are. Wow, what a terrible thing to say that. I mean, basically, you are stuck with what you, you were when you were a four-year-old. That's, God's challenging that, by the way. But I want to tell you, neuroscience, the study of the brain and how the brain works, in recent decades has begun to prove that's not true. One of the things they talk about is your brain's neuroplasticity. That means your brain's ability to change and to be reshaped and to be reformed. That we are told that we have millions of neural pathways. That's like interstate systems in our brain. Now, some of you may have 10 to 15, but most people have uh, uh, over a million. And the great news about this is these neural pathways, we are creating and can create, recreate, and redirect these things all the time. You know what? Here, here's some really interesting news. God knew that from the beginning, didn't he? God didn't learn that in the 1980s when some neuroscience guy said, wow, they can change their minds. 2,000 years ago when God said be made new in the attitude of your mind and your thinking, God knew that you could rewire and change your brain all the time. See, here's the great news. You were not stuck in the mental rut that you came in this church with this morning. You can choose your attitude and, in effect, change your life. I want to give you two attitudes that will change you. Number one is a Jesus mindset, a Jesus attitude. We're told in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, a great little verse, whoever claims to live in him, live in Jesus, must walk as Jesus did. What that verse is simply saying is if you're a Christian, you ought to live like Jesus. Jesus is your role model. He is your example. He is who you are called to be like. How is that possible? Well, you need to become a Christian, number one. You need to have a spiritual conversion. But here's the second thing. You've got to get a Jesus mindset. You've got to do what you did this morning. You need to be in church. You need to read your Bible. You need to memorize Scripture. You need to saturate yourself with the Word of God. I, I would challenge you to do this sometime, maybe this week. Take an inventory of how much time you spend watching TV. How much time you spend playing on the internet? I'm not talking about working or research. I'm talking about playing. How much time you sit around doing other stuff that, that's, that, that's mindless or maybe not even good versus how much time you spend in the Bible? You need to be taken in the Word of God. 
You need to be saturating yourself with, with the things of God. Listen, to have a Jesus mindset, you just, it's, it's not magic. I mean, you'll say, oh, God, give me your mindset. It, it takes effort on our part. But you want to change your game, it begins with changing your attitude. And you change your attitude, first of all, by having a pure, forgiving, loving, kind Jesus mindset. You can't be like Jesus if you don't have his mindset. But I want to give you a second mindset, too. And that's a positive mindset. In, in verse uh, 23, it says, be renewed, be made new. Don't be, don't be an old-timer. And that's in the negative sense, not chronologically, but in your thinking. But be young and fresh in your mind. <laughs> Several years ago, it's probably about 25 years ago, there was a fairly popular Christian author who made his living attacking other Christian leaders. It was terrible. I mean, he was always write, he was writing books, and he talked about how this person was bad, and this minister was bad, and this minister was bad. He was very negative, and he hated anything that was positive. And I saw him being interviewed on a show, and he was on a Christian show. And the, and the Christian guy's uh, the, interviewing this other, quote, Christian leader, and he's asking him, he says, well, isn't, there, isn't there a lot of positive things about Christianity in the Bible? And that guy snarled. I mean, he was mean for the Messiah. He was holy and unhappy. And I mean, he was, he was everything that will turn you off of Jesus. And he said, if you read the book of Revelation, there's a lot of negative things in the book of Revelation. And I'm screaming at the TV, read the end of the book, you clown. We win in the end, amen. And you can be on the winning team. Isn't that good? You don't have to be on the losing team. Hey, being positive in your mindset is not ignoring sin. It's not ignoring wrong. It's not firing the person you have to fire or dealing with a hard situation that you have to deal with. But in Philippians 4, 8, here's what it says. Here's what you dwell on and you focus on what's true and noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Several years back, a book, Learned Optimism, by a psychologist, Dr. Martin Siegelman, he talked about how that negative thoughts and positive thoughts are all creating chemical reactions in your brain. You're, you're redirecting it. And, and, and that the more you think positive, you focus on the good and the positive, the more you're developing your brain in the right way. Harvard Medical School several years ago put out a study. Listen to this. Optimists uh, optimist have lower blood pressure as a whole. <laughs> they have less heart problems as a whole. They heal faster and they live longer. That sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? Athletes who are optimistic get injured less and they heal quicker. Optimists who are women have happier husbands. Amen. And octopus who are husbands have happier wives. Warren Bennis was a great scholar and leadership expert. One of his books, he says, that in studying the great leaders of history, here's what he found. Jesus Christ, Christopher Columbus, Henry Ford, if you don't know who he is, Ford Automotive. Thomas Edison, thank him for the light bulbs today. Walt Disney, everybody knows who he was. Uh, Ronald Reagan, a great president. You know, one quality that they all had is they, they were optimistic. You have control of your attitude. 
And let me say something this morning. For you who are Christians here, if you've got a rotten attitude, you are a bad example of Christianity. Can I get an amen? You really are. I mean, you're about as attractive as a porcupine as far as cuddling. Change your attitude. Young people, go into this school year with a Jesus and a positive mindset. It is hard. I've read studies that say we have ten times the negative neural pathways in our mind than we do the positive. But we can rewire our own brains with the help of God. William James was a great leader, teacher, in the early 1900s. And he said this. He said, if you'll change your thoughts, you can change your life. That's what the Bible says here. If you're taking notes in Romans 12, verse 2, it says, be transformed, change from the inside out, by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. You have control over your attitude. Choose the right attitude. Let me give you the second thing you've got control of it. And that's your effort. That's, that's your effort. Attitude makes you happy. Effort puts feet to the happiness. Correct? It, it, it's great to sit around and be sunshine and positive, but you've got to do something too. And that's exactly what effort does. In Colossians 3.23, <laughs> it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to read this in just a moment, but let me share you the context here. He had just got finished addressing slaves. Now, slavery in Jesus and Paul's day was nothing like it was here in America, or, or not in, in many senses. It was, not a, it was not a racial thing. Slaves normally were, were people like the Romans conquered a country, and they brought a bunch of the people back, and you became a slave. Or you were born into slavery. Or when you were little, you were sold into slavery. It had nothing to do with your skin color. It had to do a lot from the country that you were from. You might be a medical doctor and be a slave. You might be the lowest of workers and be uh, a slave. But here's one thing for sure. You were just human property. I mean, you had no rights whatsoever. And God, through Paul... In other places, says, if you were a slave, try to get your freedom. You, the Bible never condones or blesses slavery. Slavery was horrible, and Christianity was going to be the thing that turned slavery, uh, that, that brought it to an end in, in these later eras from the inside out. But here's, this is amazing. Here's what God says through Paul to He says, if you're a slave, be the best slave that you can be. Wow. You go, man, you don't know my job. You don't know my parents. I know some of your parents, and I'm very sympathetic with you. And, and you back there, Father, I know some of your kids, and I'm very sympathetic with you. But can you imagine being a slave? And God says, if you're a slave, be the best slave that you can be. How's your effort you have complete control of your effort. You're going to go in this school year. You've got complete control of your effort. So well, all I can make is a B. If you, are, if you are doing your very best in making a B, that's awesome. If you're making a B when you ought to be making an A, that's not awesome. 
If you're making a C when you're doing your very best, that's awesome. If you're a starter and an All-American and you're giving your very best, that's awesome. If you sit on the bench and you're giving your very best, that's awesome. Verse 24, look what God told the slaves and he tells us, Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord, slaves don't have an inheritance. But he said, look, God is looking. God's paying attention. Do your very best. God's going to reward you. You adults, when you go to work, are you working hard? Or do you run in place? Or do you see what you can get away with? Are you doing as little as possible? Do you leave early and show up late? A lot of us say, well, I'm trying really hard. And the truth is, we're not working hard. Are you working hard in your marriage? Are you working hard in your friendships? As a Christian, are you pouring yourself into Jesus? You have control over your effort. And never forget, this part of the Bible is just as inspired as John 3.16. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. I I love what the the late, great Memphis preacher, Adrian Rogers, said. He said, being half-hearted and mediocre never inspires anybody. Mediocrity and half-heartedness never motivates anybody. Never gets anything done. When I was a senior in high school... We, we had a really good football team, and we were getting ready to play one of our, our cross-town rivals. And, and, and we, were, we were like a 2A school, and they were like a big 4A school. And the year before, they had beat us like a drum. I mean, they had hammered us. And that's pretty tough when it's a cross-town school because you bump into those idiots all the time, and you're reminded of that. And they, they were the Indians, and they had this, this war chant that their band played every time they scored a touchdown. And I heard it like 40 times that night. And for months afterwards, this, my psychiatrist worked with me to get those, those drum beats out of my, my head. And so we went to that ball game, and, and we almost beat them. I mean, we came that close to beating them. And I, I wasn't happy that we lost. But when I went home that night, here's where I was happy. I had done my very best. And I want to tell you, nobody likes to lose. But when you have truly done everything you can do, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's with your friendships or work or academics or sports or cheering or in the band, when you've done your best. See, most of us don't do our best. When you've done your very, very best and the scoreboard doesn't read like that you want it to, you know what? It's okay to cry, but there's some joy in knowing you laid it out on the field. That's what God's talking about. You have control over your effort. You don't always have control over the outcome. But your attitude and your effort can be great. Let me give you one last thing, and that's your followership. And yes, for some of you who are wondering, that is a word. You can Google that with Viktor Frankl after church. How well we follow people. You see, effort gets us going, and attitude gets us going with the right spirit, and then following the right people gets us going in the right direction. Does that make sense? I mean, you can have a great attitude and you can be running 100 miles an hour the wrong way. Following the right sources gets us to the right places. I want to give you two people, or, or two, one is not a person, obviously, 
that you need to follow and you have complete control over this. Number one, it's God. You know, the Bible says when you become a Christian, you make Jesus Christ your L-O-R-D. That word is synonymous with master. Many of us in here have made Jesus our buddy, our go-to guy if we're in the ICU unit, our go-to guy if there's nothing else better to do. But man, if you want life to be a home run... You need, to, you need to constantly, see, this is a continual thing. Put Jesus as the controller of your life. Follow Jesus Christ as your Lord. But it doesn't end there. The second part of this is we need to follow others. We need to follow the people that God has put in our lives to lead us. I was watching a video. I don't know if it was on YouTube or if someone sent it to me a few weeks ago. And I'm afraid this is a little bit the way our country's going right now. It was a white policeman, and it was, it was a white guy, probably early 20s. And the policeman had pulled this guy over. And he was the most disrespectful punk I had ever seen. The policeman asked him for his license. You have no right to pull me over. I'm not giving you my license. And this goes on for five minutes. The policeman is very cool. May I see your insurance? You have no right to ask me for my insurance. I'm not showing you my insurance. Can I see that you own this car? I'm not showing you this. Can I see you? I'm not showing you. And it went on. And I'm going, tase him, 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 tase him. I'm wanting this guy to get some electrical shock to the temples. And I'm just thinking, first of all, the Greek word for that is idiot, Right? But secondly, please do not say you are a great Christian if you do not follow and respect the human leadership in your life. In, in Colossians 3, 18 through 22, now stay with me because some of this gets a little bit testy. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents. This was my dad's favorite verse when I was growing up. For this pleases the Lord. And somehow, this verse always got left out. Fathers, don't embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eyes on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. In this society, the wife was a piece of property. A Greek man had a wife to take care of the kids. He could have prostitutes on the side. He could have women on the side. She was property. And he's telling, he's saying, ladies, follow the leadership of your husband to be saying, men, you love your wife. Don't be a jerk. You love your wife and you treat her well. Children obey your parents. In this day and age, kids had no rights at all. Some of you are saying, you don't know my parents. I have no rights either. Well, you had more than they had. A dad back in that day could sell his child to slavery. A a dad back in that day could beat his child maybe even to death, and there was no repercussions for it. He says, children, follow your parents. But he says, parents, love your children. Don't be hard on them. And slaves, obey your masters. There's some other places where he says to the slave owners, he says, look, in Jesus' eyes, slave and slave master are the same thing. Galatians chapter 3 in Jesus. Nobody's better than anybody else, and you need to treat them right. But what he's saying here 
is he's saying you've got to follow the people God's put you, uh, put, put over you in your life. You see, almost everybody wants to be a leader. Everybody wants to be in control. Everybody wants to be the boss. And, and that's fine if that's your gifting and that's what God wants you to do. But always remember this. You're not fit to lead if you don't follow well. You're not fit to lead if you don't follow well. And you need to get under who God has put over you to be pleasing to God. Young people, follow your teachers. Follow your coaches. I used to tell my youngest daughter, Alicia, I would take her to school and she'd have a basketball game. I said, three things I want you to do tonight. I want you to have a great attitude. I want you to give 100% effort. And I want you to obey your coach. Yes, Father. But she learned it. Follow the leaders in your life. Again, how in the world do you and I live out our faith well if we don't get under the people God has put over us? Ladies, follow your husbands. You don't follow anybody if they lead you against the Bible. That's anybody. Follow your bosses at work. You don't know my boss. Well, you got two options if you're a Christian. Get under your boss or get a new job. Follow your parents. Follow the policemen. Follow government leaders. Government leaders lead us against Christ. We don't follow them. But until that point, we follow them. It would be so amazing how so many of our lives would change. If we control this one area that we can control, follow the ones God's put over you. I want to tell you real quick a story of a guy named Baxter Hamby. You look at that picture, do you notice anything about his right arm that looks different? Does anybody notice anything there? Okay. He's a professional kickboxer. How many of you would agree being a professional kickboxer with one and one-fourth arm would be a disadvantage. When he was born, his, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his right arm, and it had to be, right at birth, his arm had to be cut off right there. But he decided when he was little that he wanted to get into martial arts, and he wanted to be a boxer. If you don't know anything about kickboxing, kickboxing, in a round, you have to kick so many times, you have to punch so many times, and... That's got to be pretty difficult when you only have one full arm. Wouldn't you agree? He's a world champion kickboxer. He could kick the hamburger out of your hand today and have it eaten by the time you realized it was gone. And just in a nutshell, how did a guy with one and one-fourth arm become a world champion in kickboxing? He has a tremendous attitude that nothing's going to keep him back. He, he doesn't deny that he has just a part of an arm. But he says, I can do what, what I believe I can do. He's worked tremendously hard. He can control his effort. He can't grow a new arm. He can control his effort. And he has followed the leaders in his life. You never reach a top level in anything if you don't follow the people and aren't teachable. Wow. You've got control of these three things. I challenge you this morning to choose 
to make the right choices with them. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I just ask you as, as we bring this to a close, how are you doing in these three areas? And what will you do about this? You're here this morning and you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian. Would you pray with me if you're ready? Would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. I believe you're God's son and that you died for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And today... I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second. What I want you to do, you just prayed and asked Jesus into your life or you're ready to do that. When we stand, would you slip out? Would you come this morning? Would you cross that line with Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. And one way you can do that when we stand is just slip out and come. Come and join us today. We would love for you to. You need a church family. Christian, maybe where you're standing or maybe at the altar, you you need today to, to take control of these areas in your life and make some right choices. And the option is yours. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.